Well, would you turn with me, please, to the Epistle to the Romans. The Epistle to the Romans in chapter 10. Reading from verse 1. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, quoting, The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May our Lord's blessing be on that reading of his word this evening. You know, there are all sorts of things that uh, we need, things that I need that maybe you do not need, or things that you need that I don't need. Uh, If we were going on holidays, well, we would need... Uh, clothing uh, suitable for the holiday for wherever it is we're going depending on the climate and uh, and how long we're going to be in one place or another what facilities there there are going to work it's a totally different thing but there is one thing that every person on the earth needs on planet earth and that is we need a saviour we need salvation because all have sinned. Now this raises a question for us. Are we sinners because we commit sin? Or do we commit sin because we are sinners? Good question. And you might think it's somewhat irrelevant, but are we sinners because we do sin? Or do we sin because we are sinners? The answer is yes. Firstly, going to, well, well, uh, from here on, I will look at three beholds, three verses of scripture containing the word behold. And, uh, and in these, we see these questions answered. Firstly, it's in Psalm 51. This is David's prayer of uh, repentance when Nathan the prophet has come to him and told him the parable and the uh, realisation hits David that 
uh, he has done wrong, a very great wrong indeed. And this beautiful Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance to God. And in verse uh, 5 of that, uh, we see that um, he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, he's not saying that there was any immoral act associated with his conception, but rather that he was born with a sinful nature. He has this inward tendency to do the wrong thing. It's uh, like the bowling ball uh, in lawn bowls. One side of that bowling ball has a bias, it has a weight, so that the tendency will be for it to turn to that side. And when it's uh, bowled, when it leaves the hand, it's travelling at um, a decent sort of a speed and it goes uh, straight for a while, but as it slows down, then it curves in towards that bias, towards the weighted side. And, of course, the uh, skilful player uses that to good effect. Uh, the jack ball at the distant end there is the target and uh, his opponent may have even two or three balls closer to it than any of his so far. But if he can bowl that and bring that bias so it curls around the back and drops very close uh, beyond the jack, then he can negate those three points that the, uh, the opponent was expecting and he has scored himself. So um, it's just like that, that we have this inward tendency to do the wrong thing. As David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. I was born with a sinful nature. So there's the uh, answer, yes, to the first one. We commit sin because we are sinners. And even it, with a newborn baby, and as sweet and precious as that little babe is, as perfect as, is, as it is, and yet already there is that inward tendency to do the wrong thing. Who taught our children to disobey the first time? Did the neighbour's older child say, now when mummy and daddy speak to you, then you do the other thing? No. Who taught the child to say or to tell a lie when asked, did you do that? No. They have this inward tendency to do the wrong thing. In sin did my mother conceive me. I was born with a sinful nature. But also, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a saviour because we have this tendency. This is the old nature, but we need a new nature now, and this is what God offers in salvation. Sometimes a person might uh, say, well, when I compare my life with most of the people around here, I'm not too bad. I'm very generous with my means. Uh, I seek to do the right thing. I'm a member of my church. I do this, I do that. You know, like the, uh, the, the uh, publican and the sinner, sorry, the Pharisee that the Lord was speaking about. 
And the Pharisee was saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I do this, I do that, I give alms to the people, I fast and, and, and all the other good things. And instead the, the publican, the sinner, he said, God, he, wasn't even, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And as the Lord Jesus said, he is the one who went home justified. And so we need a saviour because all have sinned. He recognised that he was a sinner like everybody else. But as I say, there are some people who see see that when they um, uh, measure themselves against others, that uh, they scrub up pretty well and, um, you know, why why should I need a saviour? Well, the thing is that all we need to do is go through the Decalogue, through the Ten Commandments, and we see that we do not measure up to God's standard. All have sinned and come short of God's standard, come short of the glory of God. And uh, if you challenge them on each one, just bring out a select few. Have we always put God first? Thou shalt have no other gods before me is the first commandment. Have we always put God first in all of our actions? And the answer must be no, we have not. But come to those which pertain to others. Have we killed anybody? No, definitely not. No, we're not guilty of that. But John, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in his first epistle, said, He who hates his brother is a murderer. Is there anybody that we hate, anybody that we have a dislike for, anyone that we wish, oh, I wish they'd fall under a bus or whatever, but um, if, if we're guilty of that, then we're guilty of, of murder. Have we always been true and faithful to our parents? Honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long. Well, yes, I'm always good to my parents. Always. Always honoured your father and mother and then you think back, the memories come and no, there have been times when I have not. Ever stolen anything? No, I don't go around doing stealing and uh, stealing things. Not even one thing, not even one small thing. Mm, Yes, well, maybe. Cheated on your tax return and claimed something that you were not entitled to. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I suppose I've done that. Ever borne false witness? Ever said anything about anybody that was not 100% true? Ever told a lie? No, no, never done that. Well, I suppose I do. I, uh, yeah, I suppose I have done some time or other. Ever, ever coveted, ever had an earnest desire for something that didn't belong to you? Belonged to somebody else, but you wanted that. Whether you took it or not, that's beside the point. Ever had this strong desire for something that was not yours? Yes, I suppose I've done that. And you see, when we measure ourselves against God's law, we don't come up so well after all. And so um, so the first of these beholds is, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. But now I'd like to come to the second behold. That one was from Psalm 51. Now we come to the New Testament, to the Gospels, John's Gospel, chapter 1. And uh, without turning to it, 
John the Baptist is uh, preaching the coming of the Messiah uh, by the Jordan River. And for this reason, he's calling upon the people to repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, when he was challenged, uh, are you the coming Messiah? No, I am not. Uh, Are you one of the prophets? No. Uh, Are you this? No. Well, who are you then? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so uh, the next day when he saw the Lord Jesus coming towards him, uh, well, firstly, before that, he's calling upon the people in view of the fact that the Lord Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, the long-promised Messiah, his time is here. Now clean up your lives, repent, believe the gospel. And if you will do that and if you mean it and if you will give public testimony to that, come down to me into the river and allow me to baptise you. And people came and they were and, uh, and so John was faithfully not drawing attention to himself but pointing to one who was to come. And the next day when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And that is why we are here at Thornlands Bible Church, not to draw attention towards ourselves but to point people to the Lord Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the next day, uh, once again, two of his disciples there, probably those helping him to uh, baptise those who came down. And he saw Jesus coming towards him again. And once again, he said, behold the Lamb of God. And those two disciples then left John and accompanied the Lord Jesus. But That is why we are here, to talk about the Lord himself. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are sinners because uh, we have this sinful nature. Just to have a look at a couple of verses in in, in the epistles here. Uh, For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, and here we read... uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath, just as the others. We are sinners uh, because we have a sinful nature. Uh, We were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But as we point to the Lord Jesus, we see there God's remedy for sin. And so... So we would join with John the Baptist and say, Behold the Lamb of God. We can't can't do anything about your sinful nature. We can't do anything about the sins that you might commit. 
but we can and we seek to do this to point men and women and young people to the Lord as the one, the only one who can save from sin. At the time of the beginning of the church, uh, from the time of the day of Pentecost, when uh, Peter and John, uh, prominently Peter and John, were preaching to the people, firstly, there was a lame man who had been healed. And he, um, he was miraculously healed when uh, he was lying there begging at the entrance to the, um, at, to the temple and uh, because that's where people would go and that's where opportunity would be for them to, to give. You would expect that there would be generous people uh, going in there. And so he was begging, asking for alms and, uh, and Peter said, Look at us, silver and gold have we none, but what we do say to you is, Arise and walk. Stand on your feet and walk. And this man who had been lame, crippled for so long, now finds the strength coming back into his bones, into his muscles. The blood is starting to course through the arteries and the veins once again. The nerves are doing what they should do. And he is able to immediately walk. And we see that he was leaping and walking and praising God. Well then, uh, Peter and John were challenged by the religious authorities. By what authority are you doing this? In whose name did you do that? And, uh, and so let's have a look then at Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And we'll pick it up from verse... We'll pick it up from verse 5. Sorry, uh, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle. Uh, chapter 4 from verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, this is Peter and John, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. There's a quote out of the Old Testament, several places in the Old Testament. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And Peter is identifying the Lord Jesus, the one who worked this miracle even though he had ascended to heaven as the one who performed the miracle for this man this is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone 
And then he went on to say these, these very definite words. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, you will go to heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ or you will not go to heaven at all. Neither is there salvation in any other. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ will anyone be saved. And uh, and we see that when Peter uh, spoke those words, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is what gave him the authority. It was the Holy Ghost who gave him that authority uh, so that he's able to tell them so forthrightly, neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so he, he fearlessly now uh, stands up for the Lord. He's filled with the Holy Ghost who has come on the day of Pentecost and now he can stand boldly and and point people to Christ. If he tried that a day or two earlier before the Holy Ghost had come, uh, his words would have fallen flat. Or maybe he wouldn't have even had the courage to speak those words. But now there's a real change come in him when he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. So then what we've been looking at tonight then is that we all do need a saviour because we have this this uh, inward tendency to sin. Uh, we find this um, spoken again to us in um, uh, Romans chapter 5 that we have this inward bent towards sin. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse uh, 12. Therefore, just as through one man... That is, Adam, as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. But you see here that um, because uh, sin is in the world and therefore God must pronounce the curse which came by sin and death must come to all, this is another good reason why we need a saviour, because we are going to die. The next great event on the Christian calendar, we believe, is the rapture of the church, but we don't know when that will be, and should we live long enough before the rapture does take place, we will die. Death is certain. When is the best time then to Put our trust in the Lord. Evidently it's got to be before death. Somewhere between the cradle and the grave we must face up to this question what will we do with the Lord Jesus? There's no salvation in any other. We will uh, die and having died that is not the end of everything. It is not annihilation there is an eternity there and we will stand before God. Now, going back to our uh, verse in Ephesians 2 once again, uh, I stop there um, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as others, that is pointing out to us that we are sinners because we have this inward tendency to sin. Ah, but let's read on. And this we see, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love and with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, <clears throat> not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, <coughs> which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <coughs> so then, God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for which he loved us, this is the one who pronounced death because of sin, <clears throat> but he loves us. Uh, Paul here, of course, is writing to Christians. They've already come to the Saviour in the way that God has appointed. But for, for us uh, to, to explain to us and to all who will read these verses, we see that we are sinners because we have a sinful nature, but God is rich in mercy because he loves us and he's made a way of escape so that it is no difficult thing. Uh, Paul, as we read in uh, Romans chapter 10, Paul is saying, uh, we don't have to say who will bring God down from above or who will raise uh, God from the abyss. Uh, it's not some difficult thing. The word is in your mouth. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart. God is not in the business of making things difficult for people to come to faith, to faith in Christ. But that is what it takes. And so the question comes again, well, when is the best time to come? Sometime before you die. And okay, uh, people have said, well, before I die, I will uh, get my life in order and I will do what I should do. But when are you going to die? How do you know? God has not promised any of us that we will see tomorrow. How many people have gone out expecting to be home in maybe half an hour, an hour, and then uh, that never happened? We had that event in Alexandra Hills uh, last year where a couple um, and uh, uh, somebody had in a stolen car had gone through an intersection at great speed, hit them, and uh, th they have died, and including an unborn baby. And uh, they didn't expect that... Uh, their lives would be cut short just like that when they left home. And yet we don't know when uh, our life here will be over. So then, 
we've had a look at two of these beholds already. Behold, I was shaped in an iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Secondly, from John's Gospel, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We come to the third one to answer this question, When is the best time? And for this we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Uh, just the second part of um, uh, verse 2. Uh, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the best time. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't put it off until you get home. But now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And so we do have a wonderful gospel to proclaim because we do have a wonderful saviour to point people to. And like John the Baptist, that is the desire of our hearts that, um, that we do just that. What is the consequence of not heeding the gospel message? Well, just to turn in closing now to one final scripture in Revelation chapter 20. And all oh, what solemn words these are. In Ephesians chapter 2 we read, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love for which he loved us, when we come to Revelation 20, here we have another scene with God. And that is uh, from verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. John now is looking beyond this life, beyond planet Earth. He's looking into eternity. And he said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. But God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, has made a way of escape. But sad to say, so many people reject it. Uh, some may even neglect it, but even to neglect is to miss it entirely. Uh, the scripture asks uh, an unanswerable question. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It is so great salvation. We can neglect. We may not, we may not uh, reject the gospel, but I'll think about it. I'll do something later on. I'll, I'll um, uh, live this life to the full first, and then when I become an old man, then I'll... Uh, trust the Lord but until now well what's actually saying is for the time being I believe the gospel I believe that Jesus died for me I believe he shed his blood for me but for, for now I'm going to trample underfoot that precious blood because that in effect is what you would be saying to neglect and to put it off if you believe but you do not put your trust in the Lord and so now we see this God, the one who was so rich in mercy that he made a way of escape. He said in verse 12 again, I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened 
and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. These are the unsaved dead that we're reading of. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. First death was the physical death. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, the Lord Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave a very solemn warning. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this? Have we not done that? We've done many wonderful things. And then will I profess to them, Depart from me, workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Can you think of anything more shattering than to go through this life thinking you're living a good life and maybe thinking that you're doing the right thing so often, but not having come to the Saviour by faith, confessing that you are a sinner, and then finally hearing the Lord say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Solemn, solemn words indeed. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So we do have a wonderful gospel message to proclaim to all of those around us and to point the way not to ourselves, not looking for church membership for this uh, church here or for any denomination, but rather to point people to the Lord Jesus as God's only all-sufficient remedy for sin. He can save people because he has taken upon himself the wrath of God against sin. At the cross, the problem of the sin of mankind dealt with in all of its judicial aspects. In the resurrection, because he rose triumphantly from the dead. In the resurrection, declaring to the whole universe that Satan has been defeated and that there is a way back from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and we may go in at Calvary's cross is where we begin when we come as a sinner to Jesus. And he has ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we, by faith, as Christians, are seated there with him. My, what a wonderful and a glorious gospel we have to proclaim to those around about. Let us pray. Father, once again we bow before your presence. We give you thanks indeed for these wonderful hymns that we've been singing. We thank you too for the precious word of God which reveals the Lord Jesus Christ in all his loveliness. And Father, we thank you for that marvellous sacrifice on Calvary's cross when the Son of God took upon himself the form of a servant but indeed was made to be sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
So, Lord, we thank you that we do have this message to proclaim to the nations in this world where there is so much uncertainty of life, when there is so much rebellion against the things of the Lord. But, Lord, we do pray that we may be ever faithful to him in our daily walk and in our uh, contact with others and to tell others, to point others to the Saviour. And so we, we thank you for this precious time that we have had here this evening. And we now ask your blessing upon us as we separate, as we go to our own homes and in all things. Uh, our love, our devotion is to the Saviour. And these things uh, we ask in his worthy and precious name. Amen.